0: been great to be here with you guys this week. We've enjoyed it. Um, like Jim said, first time Dawn's come along. And uh, it's been encouraging to be at a church that's still trying to emphasize the task of finishing the job. Finishing the job. Uh, and of course, that little video that somebody found sure makes the point of what seems to still need to be done. And your heart for for finishing the task as a church and continuing to raise up laborers who will go and try to at least help uh, get this done is very encouraging to us. I mentioned last night that there are a lot of churches that haven't raised up one laborer yet. The uh, only reason I know that is because I've traveled an awful lot speaking, and it's always fun to ask them, of all these missionaries on your list here, which ones are from your church? And you find out, oops shouldn't have asked that question. There's none on there. And then you come here and you find out that you guys are raising up lots of them. And there are some out there training, as Jim alluded to, They will need supported someday. And uh, it's kind of very, very encouraging to hear uh, what a church your size is doing uh, in the world. Uh, <clears throat> but those of you who haven't been here this week... Uh, haven't been able to be here during the week. Dawn and I have been missionaries now for over 40 years. I can hardly believe that, except for how I feel. And so I know I am getting that old, uh, that we have been missionaries that long now. We won't get into uh, how all that happened, uh, apart from the fact that my father had been a pastor who, when I was a boy, uh, became a missionary, never got out of this country, served with his mission in this country. And I was raised here in the 60s when, as you know, if you're my age, it was a mess here in America. Young people were going off the skids all over the place and burning down buildings and and uh, all the stuff that was going on in the wild 60s. And my dad raised us then here, right here in America, and somehow rather raised six missionaries, uh, six of us. All ended up growing up, and I was the oldest, And becoming missionaries, of course, I was the first, being the oldest. And a bunch of my little brothers would graduate from high school. And uh, I didn't get to watch them because I was on the mission field. But they would always, after graduating, come down and visit Don and I. And a number of them stayed for like a year just to come help us. And all of that ended up with two of my brothers and eventually even a sister uh, the only sister, all working in the same country that we did. Uh, the trouble was our father passed away about the time all of them got there, and I was asked to come home and take my father's place. <laughs> and so about the time all my siblings got there, we were heading home. But uh, uh, that's how the Lord seemed to have it. But uh, we wanted to thank you for being part of our our support team, part of our partners uh, in this world, uh, the first time dawn's got to come here and meet many of you, she 's met a number of you because a number of you have come to where we work with new tribes on the other side of this continent, and so uh, it was fun for her to get to come and see where you guys came from. Uh, we have so many good memories of having you out there with us at the program that we're running uh, for new tribes in in Pennsylvania. But thank you for being one of our partners. When you get to be our age, you just look at it all different than when you were 22 years old and heading off to the mission field. You even look at your partners different. And you're much more tired than you were back when you were 22. But you look at all of this and you you remember some who started supporting you when you were 22 years old and they're still supporting you today. It's bizarre in a good sense. It's like, wow, wow. We've lost a lot of supporters in our time. i got to get off this. I don't know why I'm even telling you this. But we lost a lot of supporters in our time because when you're a young buck heading to the mission field, it's not a whole lot of young bucks that are supporting you. It's older folks. And over 40 years, they start to pass away. People that were almost like a grandma and grandpa to you or an uncle and aunt almost, you know, that were that age and you remember those many years of visiting them every time you were home, and now they're all gone. Now, lots of them are gone, and everything kind of turns topsy-turvy for for a missionary who stays a missionary for 40 years. Uh, but the Lord's faithful, and churches like your church, way down the road, we kind of run into each other, and the next thing you know, uh, you pick up some of the slack that we have lost from people passing away. So... Kind of cool how the Lord does all that. Who would have thought that when I flew out here now, what, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago for the first time, uh, had no clue what I was getting into. Like many places you go, you don't know until you get there, and, and now here we're partners. Pretty cool, pretty cool. So thank you for being part of, of our team, and we trust that our partnership together, uh, that someday when we see the Lord, we'll be really glad for it. Uh, that we were partners in the cause of of Christ on this earth. But our mission board focuses almost exclusively on reaching unreached languages of the globe. Uh, interestingly enough, kind of like that little, what was it, 2% or something. I forget already the numbers. Those numbers flew by so fast. You've got to watch that about 10 times to grasp everything that they're telling you. Uh, but uh, we, we try to target exclusively those kinds. I was sent one time to Ecuador uh, to do a survey of all the languages in that country to determine do we need to go there, because we were being begged by other mission boards, come help us in Ecuador. And so me and another man were sent down there to check that out, and believe it or not, we left deciding we're not going there. Uh, Not that we don't see needs there, but every language in Ecuador had good missionary work attempting amongst them, and in our case... Well, we're, we don't feel led to double up until at least every language has at least somebody. And so we had to tell them, sorry, but we probably won't be sending missionaries here, even though we agree totally with what you're doing. And we offered to help them with with some uh, uh, consultant help, coaching help. We'd be more than glad to help you all. But we're trying to target our missionaries where nobody's gone yet with the gospel. And so press on. We will offer any help we can, uh, but we probably won't become an to Ecuador. And uh, some of the folks we met were very disappointed, but we were trying to encourage them. You're doing a great job. Keep pressing on. At any rate, that's the kind of work we do, which for for Don and I, many years ago, led us to this country called Venezuela. I had visited that when Don and I were both in Bible college. Uh, I had gone there and worked for the summer. My father had talked me into that, and me and two buddies left Bible college for the summer like they do. And back in those days, the term short-term missions didn't even exist. Some of you remember that. You're as old as me. Short-term missions is a modern movement, you know, in the last 30 years. And uh, we went down there and my dad knew a bunch of missionaries. We just hooked up with them and we're here to do whatever. What do you, what, what do you need? And uh, long story short, I got exposed to what was going on and working reaching the tribal people of that country, and I was so impressed with the missionaries that I went home, determined this is where I want to work right there. These missionaries blow my mind hard working, faithful people, incredibly dedicated, but fun at the same time and I thought, this is what I, these are the people I want to work with and I came home and told don if if you 're going to hang around with me we 're going to Venezuela. And the next thing you know, you know, when we graduated from Bible college, we got married and we just 10 days later started missionary training after we went on a honeymoon and then went straight into training. And and the next thing you know, we found ourselves in Venezuela working with these people here, the Yanomamo people ended up living amongst uh, this group that call themselves the Yanomamo. By the way, I've been telling you about them all week here, the, their name Yanomamo really is just the word for people. That's the word for, actually, person, because you have to stick something else on it to make it plural. So in the Bible, every time the word person or people show up, that's the word, because there's no other word, there's no other way to say. When you ask them, who are we, they say, uh, we're people. Only you think, oh, that's the name of their tribe, and you write it down, and you find, a, oh, shoot, that was the word for people. And you try to get a name, and they don't have a name. They don't consider themselves some group they'd had no outside contact so they had never been told you're a tribe and you're a certain race and they they think everybody's them until we show up and so uh the word for yanomamo is the word for people and and later on in the bible that was the term for people and so some anthropologists that hate hated missionaries uh were attacking us and Uh, One of the attacks they did in the newspaper in Venezuela was that those missionaries, those evil missionaries, they tell the Yanomamo that the Yanomamo killed Jesus. Of course, right away you know, okay, this anthropologist has no clue what he's talking about. He doesn't have a clue that the word Yanomamo means people. We're not saying this tribe did it. We're saying we people did it. I'm a Yanomamo in in the sense of their language. And so are you. We're all people because we're people. And uh, they love to take things like that, and either in their ignorance or in their desire to attack uh, the gospel and what God's doing, they do those kinds of things, and we had to try to defend that type of uh, attack. But the Yanomamo are primarily jungle dwellers. I don't know if you can see that little dot there in the middle of that jungle, uh, but that's a Yanomamo village, and they're scattered all over the headwaters of the Amazon when I say headwaters, where the rivers are only 10 feet wide, little streams really, not navigable, there's no canoes up there. Uh, these are the people in the headwaters, you could say, and which makes them therefore very isolated from the rest of the world. Couldn't get in there by canoe. You can't get in there by river. Without an airplane, you wouldn't even know they're there. You have to fly over and all of a sudden, oh, look, smoke's coming up. Fly over there and find out, oh, look, here's some kind of a village. A big roundhouse, you know, and as you fly around, oh, here's another one. Wow, look at this, and then here's another one. Oh, look at this, and eventually we did that to the whole area. We knew where every village was and had them marked on our map, and in trying to determine how, where could we share the gospel that hopefully it would spread to the rest of them eventually. You don't want to be on the edge; take forever to get to the other side. You know, if we can get into the middle somewhere and preach the gospel and get a church started, maybe they can spread it out. You know, as time goes by and And so Don and I ended up living in in, 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 right by one of those villages, and Mm -hmm. and we spent a a, a couple years trying to learn to speak their language. These people didn't write. They had no word for writing. They didn't even have a word for language. Couldn't talk about language. Of course, they didn't have a word for noun or verb, (laughs) subject, predicate, object, direct, object, indirect. You know, couldn't even talk about that stuff. It's just they're blabbing. And as you begin to learn the language, you find out this is not blabbing. This is really complicated language. So complicated, you better have brought a whole suitcase of brain fuses because you're going to blow a bunch of brain fuses trying to learn this language. And, and we did. It's a struggle because you couldn't look up anything. Oh, what's the dictionary say? Oh, that's the verb for to run. No, no, you have no clue what this what they're saying, and you got to figure it out. Whatyitabba? Wamakamumo show oh Lord <laughs> and i 'm supposed to preach the gospel here oh, how did I get into this mess you know and that 's how you felt a lot until maybe eighteen months down the road and you 're finally starting to be able to sort of carry on somewhat of a conversation and later eventually getting good enough in this language that you can translate the Bible in, into their language. That's a huge leap from conversation to being able to translate the Bible. Uh, but that's the process that we had to, had to work through. And thankfully today, thankfully today there's a church there amongst the Yanomamo people. But this morning, the time we have left, I want to look at this psalm that you can see there on the screen. It's a psalm that's kind of well known maybe to us. Uh, it's maybe often a missionary psalm uh, that's, that you might hear taught or spoken about uh, at a missions conference, uh, but I want to take a look at it at least from the perspective that I'm seeing this and and see if, uh, if the Lord will teach us anything this morning. In Psalm 96 and verse 1, the Bible says this, sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. I'm a missionary, so sorry, I pick up all the earth there. God wants all the earth to sing a new song to him. Uh, As we lived amongst the Yanomamo, we found out they don't sing. They don't have the verb. How can we even talk about singing? They don't sing. Uh, They chant, and they had different chants they did for different things, and they had different verbs for each different kind of chant. But sing? They didn't sing. They never heard singing. Which, by the way, was fun then when you bring your boombox. We don't have boom boxes anymore, do we? But we had boom box back then that we hauled to the mission field so we could listen to music. You know, it could run off batteries. Remember those things, people as old as me? And um, it had cassette player. And we would listen to music, and the Yanomamo, uh, especially certain kinds of music, they just loved to make fun of it, because it sounded really weird to them. You know, a lady's voice going really high, you know, that sounds stupid to them. At least it did at that point. And uh, it was kind of fun having them learn about singing, and this whole concept of singing. It was not part of their culture. And of course, God says here, sing unto the Lord. There were lots of things as we lived amongst them that was that were strange to us. What they ate, obviously. You know, when you see them catch a tarantula and the next thing you know, it's being cooked to eat. What? We step on those. You know, and not only that, what are you going to eat? Looks like a spider to me, buddy. You know, or, or I still remember having a bunch of bats in my attic and finally catching the whole nest of them. And I'm going to go out and deal with the bats and, and the Yanomamo are begging for the bats. What do you want the bats for? Oh, we eat those. <laughs> what? The paper on the wings? What do you eat? Uh, wings don't work for bats, you know, but at any rate, they, they eat them. And it almost felt like anything that moves, they eat it. It almost felt that way. And, of course, as an American, that just about turns you off until you look at them and realize they're healthy. It must work. You know, they eat this stuff, so it, it obviously works. But I'll eat my hot dogs and hamburgers. You feel free. Mm. <clears throat> but, you know, that's kind of the world we lived in. And, and they had all these strange things they did, and we had these strange things for them that we did. One of them was singing. They couldn't believe uh, that we sang. They they lived in seemed like perpetual warfare. And it would make you very aggravated because it's like, man, we came here to help them, and now and they're killing each other, sort of, in these wars. And it took a long time before we finally figured out why they live in warfare all the time. And I've told some of you that this week already, that they believe every, every death is somebody killing you. Because every death is caused by sorcery. It's not caused by sickness and and pneumonia or cancer or malaria or whatever. No, no, they don't even have those words. It's always somebody did that to you. So in their minds, every death is a murder, which then drives them to revenge that. I guess if you thought that, we would be doing the same thing. When your dad gets sick, if if you were convinced... Oh, buddy, those guys over there in Stanwood, they're the guys who did this to my dad. And then your dad dies not knowing it was cancer. You, I'd go to Stanwood and deal with somebody. Okay, and that's exactly what they do. And so when anybody is sick or or dying, that's what they think is happening. Which, of course, leads ultimately uh, to their their desire to revenge, and not just desire what they believe has to be revenged. It's a disaster. Can you imagine if we believe that, what would be happening in America? I mean, people would take the law into their own hands very quickly. Uh, Thankfully, we know the truth. And it reminds you of that incredible, cool verse in the Bible, just a little statement, but boy, is it powerful. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I used to say that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now I say you shall know the truth. By the way, it's not just hearing the truth. you got to know it. I can say some really good truth to you. That's truth, buddy. But it'll never set you free. No clue. You have to know it. You have to understand it. And sometimes, even in English, when we share God's truth with people, you know, they have no clue what we're saying. And that's part of our responsibility before God, is to teach them, help them. Go and make disciples, he said. Teach them so they will know the truth. And if they'll believe it, it'll set them free. Uh, But what's really cool to think is that possibly while we're sitting here doing what we're doing, because it's Sunday, uh, the Yanomamo in our valley, some of them are meeting in a building like this, singing a new song. It's kind of hard to believe. Now, if you're there, you might not call it singing or a new song because they butcher it because we didn't realize how hard it is to learn to read good enough that you can be reading it to be able to sing it. Okay, that was beat into us growing up, you know, and by sixth grade, hopefully, we're able to do that. Uh, but when we taught the Yanomama to read, they could read, but if you're reading like, you know, if that's the way you read, singing's going to be difficult, let alone they've never carried a tune. So that's a royal disaster, but it's made me feel good. So, because I'm not a singer, so you can butcher the the, the tune, and uh, that doesn't matter. No one pays any attention. They did like the tunes. Don't get me wrong, but to carry it now, the young people could learn really quick. And our coworker played the guitar. What a blessing that was. And he just loved to teach young people how to sing and so on. And and so the young people they kind of grabbed that way quicker than us old people. Uh, but it was a blast in a, in a service like this because it didn't sound like these guys. Even if these folks had been there, sorry, it wouldn't sound this way because Yanomamo can't read fast enough and so until they finally memorize each song, they're listening to the person beside them for the next word. You know, we're trying to pay attention here, okay, how great thou art sort of type thing. So, you know, they might be on the first sentence and by the time it gets back there, it's, they're, they're, They're a whole verse behind still, because the words finally got back there. And so it's a disaster. But it's a new song, and they're singing to the Lord. I think God looks down on that, just smile. You know, in America, we've got to where we've got to be so sophisticated with our singing. You know, we got to work like crazy to make sure it sounds so perfect. Nothing wrong with that, that. We're Americans. Uh, but I think God doesn't care if they're butchering it, but they're singing to Him a new song. And so the Yanomamo uh, are, are doing that today. Uh, the, uh, the Bible goes on to say in verse 2, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. God desires that his salvation be demonstrated every day. It's quite a challenge to do what that verse says if you're living amongst the Yanomamo. Sharing God's salvation with the Yanomamo wasn't as easy as giving them a tract. Of course, we couldn't do that. There's no writing. We had to figure that out. And even if we could write it, they couldn't read it. You know, so it wasn't that easy uh, to show forth His salvation from day to day. The Bible had to be translated uh, so that we could take verses out of it and then be able to teach them this is what God has said and help them understand the Bible and eventually understand the gospel. Huge challenge. Huge challenge because in their language, believe it or not, there was no word for love. There was no word for faith. There's no word for believe. There's no word for grace. There's no word for trust. And on and on go the list of words that they do not have. And you might think, wow, well, they're just not as developed as us. That's what scientists would say. They're, they're still closer to monkeys than us. That's why we got all the cool words and they don't. No, not true. They're as developed as you and me. If you go there and live, you'll find that out. You learn our language, you find out, uh-oh, some of these people, it's obvious, they're smarter than me. I went to school. You can tell. You start teaching them, and man, they learn like this. I don't know where James is in here. James, where are you at? I bet you James can see that up there in the tribes where he lives. They're just like us. Some of them are sharp and fast. Sharp as tacks, as we say in English. You know, they learn so fast, and others are so slow, you don't know if they'll ever learn. Kind of like some that were in my class in high school. But most of them are just kind of normal-ish, like all of us. Kind of normal. they got to work at it, but they learn. Okay, and so we, we found that amongst the, uh, the Yanomamo, that they're, they're, they're much like us, but all these words did not exist and it wasn't because they're slow or less developed. There's one reason why those words don't exist in their language and the same reason why they do exist in our language. It's extremely simple. We have the Bible, they don't. All of those concepts have been brought, all those concepts have been brought into our language because we've had the Bible in our language since at least the 1600s been in my language. And somebody a long time ago figured out how to get those same words and concepts into my language. And so I think it's always been there. No, no, no. We got got the concept of faith from the Bible. We got the concept of judge from the Bible. We got the concept of justify from the Bible. All that came from the Bible. But it's been in our culture so long, it's common now. It's so common, now we've got the meanings of those words confused because they came into our language so long ago. Well, we had to figure all that out uh, for the Yanomamo if we were going to demonstrate His salvation from day to day amongst them. And so uh, we we knew we had a struggle on our hands. They don't have the word for love, so how are we going to tell them God is love? Thankfully, through the help that we got, it became very clear that God wrote the Bible in such a way that none of His truth is dependent on any specific word. I don't know if you're following me here. God's not dependent on, you gotta have these five words or you cannot tell the gospel. Thank the Lord for that. Because you know what God did? God lived love out. So you could see love with your eyes. Watch it. And learn to get a feel for what this thing is called love. Or grace. Or mercy. They didn't have those words either. Or trust. Okay? And so what God did is He, He lived out his interactions with the human beings, demonstrating those attributes, demonstrating love from day one. And so we realize, okay, that's what we got to do. We got to teach biblical history, because if we do, they will start to feel this thing called love. They will start to feel this thing called grace, because they will see God act as a gracious God. Does that make sense? really cool and you could tell later on as we had believers at times you could tell when they're talking and praying that they're trying to say some of these things and they're going all around the sag bush to say it because they're struggling with there's no one cool word just say it you know they have to talk around it to get that concept out and so the challenge of sharing uh, God's truth them was a was a challenge but as we taught from Genesis all the way up to Jesus it started to make real sense to them. We could make up words then. We actually made up words for some of those things and, you know, sort of made up a word in their language and stuck it on that idea. Now that's grace. Okay? And they now know what that means because they watch God be a God of grace and they can grasp what God is telling them. And so we were able to teach them and, and they finally began to understand that so God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Verse 3 goes on to say this, Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. So God, all the way back, all the way back in Old Testament history, King David's day, God wanted his glory declared among all the nations. It did not start when Jesus said, go into all the world. It started a long time ago. And interestingly here, you will note if you study the Bible and do some work, that almost always when the Bible says peoples, what's an S doing on it for? Instead of the people, peoples is talking about people groups, different kinds of people. That's why there's an S on it. We don't normally say that. Look at the peoples. No, we don't say that. In fact, your teacher would say, stop it. No, no, people's already plural. Quit putting the S on there. Okay, but in the Bible, there's an S on it often. Because when God said it, he didn't mean the people. He meant all the different kinds of people. The people groups of planet Earth. One of them's the Yanomamo. And so he says, I want my wonders declared amongst them. Now get doing this. Come on. Declare my glory amongst all the nations. And and as you study this thing, you find out that way back in the Old Testament, many of these words like nations was pointing to ethnic nations, not political nations. Because, by the way, almost every nation at that time was an ethnic nation. Israel was an ethnic nation. The Israelites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, on and on it goes. They were nations... Like a country, as it were, but it was based on their ethnicity, right? Y'all know that. And the battles the children of Israel had with every one of these kinds of nations as they came into the Promised Land. So God says here, "That's that's what I want you to do. I want you to declare my glory among every every race of people on planet Earth." Look where we're at, guys. This is where we're at today, in doing that. And th- th- this little chart's only based on languages. No other kind of breakdown, just language. There are around 6,900 languages on the earth. Okay, that's a lot. When I mean that, I mean all the English is just one. British, Australian, Canadian, American, New Zealand, Kiwis, all of that, just one. English, Spanish, Venezuela, Colombia, Paraguay, Bolivia, Spain, all of them, just two. Number two. Okay, and on goes the count. And there's 6,900 plus. You can, you can get the list if you want it. You can get it. You can print it out. Sorry. It'll, it'll run from here to the back of the church. Literally. I've seen the listed physically that way. And of those 6,900, this is where we're at right now as a church of the Lord Jesus. Around 375. Everything's plus or minus because the numbers are constantly morphing. They're constantly changing. So none of these are exact way it is right now. They're in the ballpark of where we're at right now. There are around 375 languages that somebody translated part of the Bible, never finished it, sitting there, not done. There are around 530 languages. Today, who knows? Maybe we got 550. I don't know. I have to keep digging around to find these numbers because they change. But we'll we'll just say uh, 500 plus languages have the whole Bible in their language. We're one of them. We're one of them. Not only that, on my iPad, I've got piles of them. And I didn't even download all of them. Oh, I'll take those 20. And so on my iPad with a click of my finger, I can go read a different version of the Bible in my language. Piles of it's been done in my language, which would make you think, my goodness, God loves the English language for heaven's sakes. We got more Bibles than anybody in the world. Then you read the Bible and find out, no, that's not true. He doesn't love our language more than any other language. No, but somebody does. That's why they keep translating it in our language it's probably because you could make some money if you do that. But at any rate, there's around 2,000 languages that have the whole New Testament. And the is one of them. They have the whole New Testament in their language. <clears throat> that, at this moment in time, they tell me somewhere around 2,195, let's say 2,200 languages, have somebody living amongst them who's giving them the Bible for the first time. That is impressive to me. Because look at the red one. That's what we've done up till now. 2,000 languages that have the New Testament. But while you're sitting in your chair, we are putting it in 2,200 more. We're more than doubling the number right now. Wow, something's happening. It's picking up speed. And that leaves us the blue number around 1,800 languages that don't have one verse yet. Yet God told us back in Psalms, declare my wonders amongst every people group. Still haven't done it sadly. Of course, that's why we have a missions conference here at your church, because your church still cares about this. And your church realizes we're not done. And your church has already proven itself willing to send their young people. There's parents here that are willing to let their children go, try to put the Bible in another language, because they know what the Bible said, what God has told us. It's not easy to do that. In fact, that's very hard to do. But there are parents from your church that have been willing to do that, to let their children go. And Dawn and I know what that's like, because two of ours went to the other side of the globe to translate the Bible into another language. Of course, that's why this week our conference theme has sort of been until every language hears, until every language has heard. Because of these kinds of verses, look at this verse here. In verse 4 then, the Bible says, First he said, declare my wonders among all the peoples. And then he says, because the Lord is great, he is greatly to be praised. He should be praised in his wonders, declared everybody. He is to be feared above all gods. The fear there often in the Bible doesn't mean scared to death. It means respected and adored. For all the gods, small g, of all the peoples are idols. They're not true gods. They're idols. But the Lord, the real God, he made the heavens. I like that. I like that when God compares himself to the false gods, he doesn't say, all of them are false, I'm powerful. He says, all of them are false, I made the heavens. Kind of like, take a look, take a look. I made the heavens, God says. And and the psalmist here compares the false gods with the real God, with the idols versus the God who made the heavens, the true God that demonstrate his power. Look at this little thing that I ran into recently. I think I have it here for you. Well, no, I don't. I'll read it to you. But he says, I made the heavens. Listen to what I ran into in a book sometime back. Scientists know that light travels at the speed of 5.87 trillion miles a year. That went by so fast, let me say that again. They know that light travels at the speed of five point eighty-seven. Almost 6 trillion miles in one year. That's how far light travels. They also know that the galaxy of which our solar system is part of, called the Milky Way, our galaxy is 100,000 light years in diameter. Which means that our galaxy, one galaxy, is 587,000 trillion miles wide. We can't even fathom that. 587,000 trillion miles wide. And they also know this. It is simply one of at least 50 billion galaxies like it. All within the optical range of our telescopes. They can look at them. Somebody took the time to count them. Okay, And they tell us that in our galaxy, just this one called the Milky Way, there are about 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And there's at least 50 billion galaxies. In our galaxy, it's 587,000 trillion miles wide, times 50. And the Bible says, "Uh, but the Lord made the heavens. Kind of like a little nonchalant comment. You know, the Lord made the heavens. Whoa. This is what our God made. The sun, which is one of the little stars, not a big one in our galaxy. It's just a modest star burning at 6,000 degrees centigrade on the surface. Wow. And God could put it quite a long ways away, and it still heats our earth. Can you imagine if you apply to build a house and tell them, no, no, I don't want the furnace in my house. I'm going to put it three blocks over there. You won't get a building permit. You know, and God puts the, the sun millions of miles away from us, And it still heats us. Unbelievable. Burns at 6,000 degrees centigrade on the surface. And get this. Our sun's traveling in an orbit. The sun is actually in an orbit, moving. And it's moving at 155 miles per second. That's how fast the sun is flying through the Milky Way galaxy. Which means it will take 200 million years to complete one revolution through the Milky Way galaxy. I'm not going to make it. The Lord's coming back. But that's how fast it's going. And then we're spinning around it. We're going around it while it's flying that fast. And while we're going around it, we're also spinning. Unbelievable. It all works. You can set your clock by it. That's what that is. It's just timing all of that incredible so the heavens are clearly declaring god's power and his majesty and his glory clearly needs to be proclaimed among all the peoples that's what he just told us we just read the verse all while our country denies there's even a god a little disgusting isn't it that god says look and they look up there and say no it just happened foolishness. And by the way, some of the smartest men who ever lived said, that's foolish to say there is no God. His name is Albert Einstein. He could not look at that and say, fooling. there is no God. He was honest enough to at least say there had to be a creator. But Einstein believed you couldn't know him. No way you can know him. That's stupid to think you can know him, but there obviously had to be a creator. Look at the last verses here. Chapter 96, verse 7. Give to the Lord O oh, families of the peoples give to the Lord glory and strength give to the Lord the glory that's due his name he made the heavens bring an offering come into his courts worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness fear before him all the earth fear before him all the earth god wants all the peoples all the kinds of peoples on this earth to give him glory another translation translates families as kindreds Oh, kindreds, meaning kinds, that God wants every kind, every tribe, every language. That's why James is up where he's at. He told us a couple nights ago, you miss being here. That's where you grew up. He's not up there because, oh, this is a joy ride. This is just a blast to be away from home. No, no. He's up there because of verses like these, that God wants every kind, the two kinds that live where James lives, to, to know him, to know his glory, and then to give him glory. Praise him according to these verses. That's God's ultimate goal on planet Earth. And if you noticed in the little video clip that we watched there during the offering, whoever the authors are of that implied that Jesus said, go and make disciples of every nation. Again, had nothing to do with political nations. It had all to do with ethnic nations. And they said in their little clip that that's when he will come back, when every kind is finally part of What God's doing. We call that group the church. And and in reality, all of history, I would argue, all of history, especially since the Tower of Babel has been driving towards that day. That's That's what's happening on planet Earth. That's what's really happening. Not what we hear in the news. That's not what's really happening. That's what the world's doing. But God's doing something much grander. And the Bible predicts for us that someday He will accomplish it. It will finally be done. It will be finished. History is not cyclical. It's linear. There's going to be, there was a beginning and there will be an end. We're driving towards an end. And thankfully, the Bible tells us what the end is. It's not too hard to guess what the end is if you know what the Bible says from Genesis all the way up. If you pay attention to what he's saying, like right here in the Psalms, he's telling them to be missionaries back then. This thing called missions did not start just at the cross. It's been part of God's plan since he made the ethnic groups. That he wants to draw them back together as one, and it'll be in something called the church. But in the book of the Revelation, he shows us a picture of the final end. Around the throne of God, there's a group singing a new song. Isn't that interesting? What did he say back in Psalms? Sing unto the Lord a new song, all the earth. Here, this song's called a new song. Fascinating. And these people are singing around God's throne in heaven, and they say this. Uh, you are worthy to take the scroll, to take them and, and roll them open, and to open its seal, or break it open and read it, because you were slain. They're singing to Jesus. And you have redeemed us, God, Jesus, by your blood. That's why we do communion, to remember that. By your blood. And look what they say. Out of every tribe, well, you know what that is. Every tongue, oh, we know what that is, that's language. Every people, talking about those people groups again, and every nation. And so we see a picture in the book of the Revelation of what looks like the end. That someday we'll get to heaven, and every kind will be there. And every language will be there. And every tribe will be there. That sort of tells me I'm I'm putting two plus two plus two and getting six. But in my mind, that tells me, okay, God's going to accomplish this. This is what he's been telling us to do. He's going to finally accomplish this. Even though it looks like at this point we haven't finished it yet, it looks like God is going to accomplish his purpose. And together we will all praise and worship the Lamb around the throne. And I know one thing. I'm not going to learn language when I get up there. I've done too much of that. That would not be heaven. That I have to go there and learn the language of the guy standing beside me while we're singing? Oh, no way. I kind of think when we get there we'll all understand each other. Because God understands everybody. And when we see him, we shall be like him, the Bible says, whatever that means. And I'm suspicious when we get to heaven, you will be able to understand the Yanomamu. You won't have to go through the pain that we went through to learn their language. And they'll look at you and you'll be blabbing in English and they'll just smile. Got it. You know exactly what you're talking about Uh, when we get to heaven. And we sing this new song. I like to tell people, hey, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you better learn these words. Because this is the new song we're going to sing when we get to heaven. May this conference spur us on. May it help us be willing to send our young men and young women to get this thing done. May it spur us on to dig a little deeper and be willing to, okay, okay, I won't get a new iPhone this time. I'll use those funds to spur on God's work and I'll skip a new iPhone this time. I'll get it next time or whatever it might be because we believe in this. You do. I'm just preaching to the choir here. We believe in this. I'm impressed and encouraged to hear Jim's report of the giving that you all are doing. Pretty impressive, like Jim said, for 250 people coming to church here. If you would get out there around and find out what other churches are doing, you'd be impressed. At least I am. I get around, I find out, and I'm impressed. But may God spur us on further, because we believe the songs we sang. I saw one song eight times in a row. We said, here am I, send me. I remember thinking to myself while I was singing, that, boy, I sure hope we mean that. Yikes. We've said it eight times to you, Lord. I've often wondered, what if God said, okay, I like it, I got a job for you. You know, some of us would croak right there. We, well, we kind of mean it, but we kind of don't. But may God use, continue to use 1st Baptist Arlington to send out those who will help us finally reach the last languages. And I know this for a fact, that when we get to heaven and every kind of people are around that throne, I know for a fact that those of you who were part of this here at Arlington will be really glad you were part of it. And you'll be able to say, you know what? Our church, where I lived when I was down on planet Earth, our church sent out a bunch of people to help do this very thing. And some of them are here today as we're singing around the throne. You'll be really glad you were part of it. Lord, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. And, and thank you for for what you have taught us again this week about what you're doing in this world Lord, we know that we're not going to all go be missionaries, but we all know that we're supposed to be doing it for sure right here in our backyard. Because there are many here, right in our backyard, like it was alluded to, right across the fence maybe, who need to hear of what your son did for them. Hear a declaration of your salvation, as Psalm says. We ask, Lord, you'll help us to live seriously, sacrificially, uh, for the cause of reaching uh, Arlington in this area and the rest of the world. Help us, Lord, to be willing to to maybe give our lives, maybe give our children, maybe dig in a little deeper and give some of our hoarded resources for your cause, that your news, your salvation, might be declared day by day all across this globe. So thank you for this time that we've had together this week as we've reminded ourselves of what you're doing on planet Earth. In Jesus' name, amen.